This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one, midday, Thursday, November the 11th, 2021. Happy Veterans Day to everyone out there. And certainly, Charlie, we want to send our thanks sincerely to everyone, men, women, who have served our country both currently and in the past, but certainly those who have uh, done that for us in previous years. We can't thank those folks enough. No, I mean, Veterans Day is a, a special day. My dad served in the military. My grandfather served in the military. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a, a great appreciation, not only for those two, but everyone, um, you know, who gives us the freedoms we have. And, um, yeah, it's it's always weird. I, I feel like in school it always fell out on a Monday. But now I, <laughs> that my dad, of course, he's doing Veterans Day things because uh, my, my nephew's his grandsons always have him out to school and stuff. He's like, yeah, Veterans Day is on Thursday. I'm like, that's, I don't know. I, I feel like I guess maybe I didn't appreciate it enough in high school, but it's always weird to me when it comes in the, the middle of the week. Yeah, my late grandfather served in World War II, and tomorrow is his date of birth. So it definitely rings special to our family, the wife's side of the family, Marines, uh, both in terms of siblings and nephews and her father. So uh, definitely, once again, an important, important day and an important day to let all those out there that have served our country in the past know that we sincerely thank them as much as we possibly can. It is the Bama Online Podcast, Travis Schreier and Charlie Potter, as we get you ready. Are you ready, Charlie? Are you fired up at this point for Alabama? New Mexico State. Brunch at Bryant-Denny returns, Charlie, on Saturday morning. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind the 11 a.m. kickoffs. Um, I love them. I love it. Is In terms of what we do, Yeah, I love it. Well, you, you know. You're a you gotta, night owl, though. So you're I, uh, a night owl, and I'm a I'm borderline grandpa yeah. face at this point. So we're in a little different places. That's the thing, too. Like on these podcasts, a lot of the times I feel like you bust my chops about things. I think it's just we have a lot of different interests. So uh, that's that's where that falls. But uh, I would be more excited if there wasn't a basketball game on Friday night. So it's a pretty quick turnaround yeah. of walking out of Coleman yeah. and then getting up and, and driving over to Bryant Denny. But it is nice to have. Um, you know, the rest of the day to, to watch some of the big games. And, you know, I don't I don't really remember last year. Um, and last year obviously has the asterisk beside it because of everything that happened. But you know, breakfast in Brian Denny, uh, when it was over at the old press box, that was an event. Uh, you had a full spread of pretty strong. Know, yeah. yeah. But now the, you know, the, the food line is, is condensed. There's not as much up there. So we'll see how it, it goes. If, if there's a good breakfast spread, it's going to be a good day. 
Um, but no, I mean, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm not a very big morning person, so you know, I'll probably be getting over to the stadium a little later than normal, but, uh, it is nice to, to have it, to, to get it done. And then, you know, to have some data to actually get to watch some of the other games. Maybe they'll do some Bojangles biscuits, man. If it's bow time in the press box, you better put your mouthpiece in. You better helm it up because <laughs> the folks will be going crazy if there's some Cajun chicken filet biscuits up there. Maybe a little cheese skirt on those to go with them. Oh, yeah, that would work. All you would need is those Cajun chicken filet biscuits and like a sweet and unsweet tea canister. And you'd be good. I think that would handle it. There you go. That's kind of handled that for UA. SID. I know they they appreciate that. We did have some <laughs> news here during the week, uh, Charlie, really throughout the week for Alabama football. But let's start with the news that Marcus Banks, the veteran corner, has made the decision to enter the NCAA transfer portal. A guy that we saw start a game earlier in the season against Mercer looked like he was in that rotation, at least among the top three or four or five corners. Uh, but Marcus Banks apparently going to be on the move. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a lot about Marcus before the season and, you know, he was one I, I didn't want to write off just in terms of you know, that cornerback spot opposite of Josh Joe, because I think the coaching staff felt good about him and enough so that, yeah, you're right. When both starters were, uh, were out versus Mercer, you know, he got the start, but it with Josh Job dealing with that turf toe issue. Uh, we saw Kool-Aid McKinstry step into the starting lineup, the true freshman, um, and that, you know, to me was kind of the writing on the wall. Uh, I wish I'd have went with my intuition a little bit and kind of got a story ready because, you know, he popped a couple of days later into the, the transfer portal. Marcus Banks did. But, um, you know, that's that's a little bit understandable. You know, you're a third year player. Um, you've played in a ton of games as a reserve and on special teams and you're right there as a backup. And then a true freshman gets the nod over you to, to start against an SEC team. So, um, I understand it from, from Marcus's standpoint. Um, you know, I, it is a little weird to see people, uh, enter the portal, uh, during the season. We've seen it before last year, Alabama had a couple of guys to, to do so and Ishmael Sopcher and, and Kevin Harris, but he's looking for greener pastures. And in this day and age in college football, that's just the norm. And, uh, it does leave Alabama with some, some inexperienced depth at the position. Uh, you know, if you look at just the guys that were working at corner and in, in the preseason, Alabama has six scholarship guys there now, and that includes you know Josh Job and Jalen Armour Davis, the starters. And so you have Kool-Aid McKinstry, uh, Kyrie Jackson, who will probably be that next guy up as the the second backup at the position, and then you have you know Jacquez Robinson, who's in his second season, and uh, Terry and Arnold. Um, they can move some guys around. Devontae Smith, um, you know, came to Alabama as a corner, but has you know played safety of late kind of worked his way up the depth chart a little bit and, and maybe he stays there. Who knows? Um, but you know, the, the depth is a, a little thin, but Nick Saban said he's not discouraged by that at all. And you know, the guys at that position are making progress and it sounds like he feels good about them. And I think the, the program or, um, the position, sorry, is, is set up for success for the future. Uh, just in terms of, you know, a lot of young guys are going to be there. Alabama is still recruiting a ton of elite corners from across the country. But anytime you lose a guy that has experience, um, you know, that's less than ideal. But, you know, we've, we've seen in the past Alabama can, can make up for those losses. Yeah, I think Marcus Banks is going to have plenty of options, right? When you think about uh, potential destinations for him, he's a solid player. He really is who I think 
his upside is still very much in play. He was a guy that came to Alabama like a lot of these guys that needed a little time, probably more so from a physical perspective than anything else. And he's made some nice strides in that area. And I think he's going to uh, find an abundance of potential suitors in that transfer portal if he hasn't already. So Marcus Banks on the move, Charlie outlining some situations, some scenarios for the future, absolutely correct in terms of the recruiting prowess right now at that spot and the potential for even some later additions. And I think you're going to see that maybe from South Florida and Southern California for this 2022 cycle as Hank South and Tim Watts will certainly keep you up to speed there at BamaOnline.com. On the recruiting trail, offensive line talk. It seems like it's been a weekly topic of discussion throughout the 2021 season, Charlie, and that hadn't changed on the heels of a six-yard rushing performance against the LSU Tigers last Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Darian Dahlcourt with the ankle injury early in the game against LSU. Sounds like, based on Nick Saban's comments midweek, questionable at best. Is that how you would sort of classify Darian Dahlcourt heading into Saturday's game? I would. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it doesn't sound like uh, he's done much in practice this week. Um, you know, today, uh, they're going to see what he can do, but you and I know we've talked about it before. Wednesday is kind of a telltale day just in terms of, you know, what they're getting ready to do in the game. And, you know, he dressed out, but Nick Saban said he didn't do too much on Wednesday. Um, so that to me, and, and really he's talked a lot about competition at the center position. So I, I don't think Dow has been in that mix because he's banged up with that you know, lateral ankle sprain. And uh, that's going to open some, some opportunities up. And it sounds like it's not a slam dunk that we'll see the same offensive line that we saw to close out the LSU game with Chris Owens at center and, and Damian George at right tackle. They're, they're weighing their options. You know, Nick Saban had some good things to say about Seth McLaughlin, who's really the next guy up at center. Um, because, you know, Chris Owens has been the starting right tackle. So, like, you know, you'll go through warm-ups and you'll see, um, you know, McLaughlin snap into Paul Tyson, who's the number two quarterback. You'll see Seth McLaughlin at center with the second-team offensive line. So um, we'll see. They have a, a bunch of avenues that they can go, but um, they can go down. But I, I think that they're looking to get more consistency um, you know, they didn't have a, a great game against LSU and it, it doesn't help when your starting center goes out in the first quarter and you have a team that's, you know, calling all these exotic blitzes and things that they hadn't seen on film before. Um, you know, I think it was just a, you know, a perfect storm for a bad game for that Alabama offensive line, whether it's the injury or, you know, Ed Orgeron throwing the kitchen sink out there. But, um, yeah, that that's been a talk this week. Monday's press conference was heavy on offensive line. Um, you know, last night's press conference was heavy on the offensive line with a, an emphasis on the center position. And so it's, it's pretty obvious that that's an area that they'll want to clean up. And, you know, that's, it's, it's a little worrisome because this is exactly what we were talking about. Um, you know, during the bye week, how pass protection was a, um, you know, key on the, or, t- uh, high on the priority list for them in terms of what they wanted to work on. So, um, you know, it's, I hope Nick Saban isn't listening to this, but, this is a week where you can rest Darian Dalcourt, where you can clean some things up. You can maybe try some things out um, before you get ready for a couple of SEC games to close out the regular season. But uh, still, I think offensive line is something that you know, they're wanting to, to see more consistency from and some better performances from. Yeah, it sounds like Dalcourt isn't that far away from being able to get back in the mix. It just may not happen this week, which 
big picture wise may prove to be good news if you really feel like he's your guy at center. Because absolutely, with Arkansas and Auburn on the horizon, if that is in fact the case, you want him for those two games. And I guess as an extension of all this, in connection to Chris Owens, is what happens ultimately at right tackle. If you see Seth McLaughlin as the starting center on Saturday, uh, and you see Damian George at right tackle, that's obviously not the best scenario for Chris Owens. No, it's it's not. And it wouldn't shock me if that's how it goes. You know, we've seen or I've seen and, and heard that Owens has played some center this week, but they've mixed some things up. But it wouldn't shock me to see Owens at center, George at right tackle to open this game. Um, because, you know, Chris is someone that while he has experience at center, uh, hasn't practiced it much this season. So I think that he's going to get some reps there this week. And, you know, Damian George, um, even though he was put in a tough spot to come in an LSU game, um, you know, Nick Saban said he thought he'd play well. He said that on, on multiple accounts now. So I think that's maybe the way that I would lean is that we'll see the same unit, but I, I don't think it's a slam dunk. And uh, you're right. If, if Seth McLaughlin's at center and they you know choose to play 74 at right tackle, um, I think a lot of people in the Alabama fan base will you know be standing up and, and clapping. But, um, yeah, that doesn't bode well for, for Chris Owens and the rest of the season, because I do think, like you said, you know, Dow Court's not just, you know, out for a while. They're just, you know, making sure, um, you know, nothing gets re-aggravated with him and he's good to go for the final stretch because I think he's the guy at center to close things out. Yeah, it, it could be a scenario, um, you know, where if you if you see McLaughlin at George, and George, it's it's pretty pretty uh revealing in terms of where they may be headed for arkansas uh and auburn at right tackle and so uh a lot of things to take into account with that alabama offensive line during the course of saturday's game the ongoing saga of jalil billingsley it was revisited on wednesday charlie and again kind of just waiting on jalil at this point are we past the point of no return in your opinion or did you get from nick saban that Perhaps there is still maybe a light at the end of the tunnel for Billingsley to become more of the consistent weapon and threat at this passing game really could still use as good as Jamison Williams has been as much as we've seen John Mechie come on here in recent weeks still could use a, a strong dose of Jalil Billingsley, couldn't they? Yeah, it would, it would certainly help the offense. The offense isn't struggling from a passing standpoint. Uh, the pass protection obviously needs to improve, but you know, Williams and Mechie have been really big, um, and Bryce Young has played obviously exceptionally well. But yeah, I mean, it's um, Nick Saban doesn't hold back punches when talking about Jaleel Billingsley. It's been kind of odd because um, usually, you know, he he lights fires under people, and you know, he calls for things during press conferences. But um, you know, he's he's been asked probably four or five times about Jalil individually this year. And it's always kind of been one that fans are like, Oh wow. Um, and, and reporters too, uh, on those zoom calls. So, you know, he talked about, um, you know, do they miss his production? Yes. But you know, when he gets the opportunities, he has to take advantage of it. That means you're not dropping the ball. That means you're playing fast and doing the things he's supposed to do. And, um, you know, I saw a lot of things on the message board about, you know, did Jaleel Billingsley uh, play in the game? And he did. He was on the field quite a bit. It's just he wasn't targeted. Um, you know, you look at his last four outings, uh, he has one catch for, for eight yards. And that's not the kind of season I think anybody expected for Jaleel, who could have been a guy that with a big year, um, you know, 
decide to to choose the NFL route and to be a high draft pick. I think he can still do that, and maybe he just chooses to do that after the season, given everything that's going on, uh, gone on. But I think that yes, it would be advantageous for both parties uh, if Billingsley uh, was more consistent. And so, and we'll see if that happens. Um, you know, I'm certainly going to be watching him this week. I think a lot of people are. Um, but you know, if they could get more production and more consistent production from him down this stretch, it would certainly help out the offense tremendously. We talk about the Alabama run game and how it will be looking to correct some areas uh, that showed up pretty big in that six-yard performance against LSU last Saturday night. I guess part of me thinks they're going to need to rep who they have to the extent where opportunity may not be there as much, but Look, if they take care of business like they should through the first three quarters, what do you think about the possibility of maybe seeing some guys who have cross-trained at the running back position? Obviously, you'd love to get Trey Sanders some work this week as well, but once you get beyond the top three in that rotation, any chance we see some of these these guys that they've cross-trained a little bit, you think, at the position after, uh, after Jace McClellan went out? Yeah, I think this is the week that, that if we see it, we see it. And, um, you know, we've seen Christian Leary and Demoy Kennedy. Uh, they've continued to to go through pregame drills with the running backs. Um, and, you know, they're the guys that are the in case of emergency players with only three healthy scholarship uh, tailbacks on the roster. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think in a perfect world, if if it goes the way that a lot of us think, um, you know, it's a short day for Brian Robinson. You get a heavy dose of, of Roy Dell Williams probably in the second and third quarters. Uh, and then Trey Sanders gets some run. And then, you know, they, they give some of those guys an opportunity. And uh, that'll be interesting to see because we don't see that a lot. That just, that'll just be something that's, that's kind of new and a little exciting. But, um, you know, I will say I, I, don't, I don't think we'll see him this season. I think he's you know, kind of destined for a red shirt uh, with that meniscus injury. But and it is kind of a running joke on the the message board, but I did actually finally see Kamar Wheaton with my own eyes on Saturday, uh, walking to the game. He came in with, with Jace McClellan who has that brace on his knee. So Kamar Wheaton does exist. He is on campus in Tuscaloosa and not in Oklahoma. To, so that's, that's good news. Were you able to get him to do any cutting drills for you? Maybe give you a, you know, an idea of the health at this point. No, I mean, that's a guy that obviously still factors big in their future plans. And, yeah, you can just think of the New Mexico State game this way. Come for Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Stay for Demoy Kennedy at running back. That's the way you can maybe market that game on Saturday. Hey, um, the secondary. Uh, this is a New Mexico State offense that likes to throw it around. Quarterback Jonah Johnson has had some big games behind center. The junior college transfer for the Aggies. Uh, some 300-yard performances, uh, had over 400 yards against Nevada a couple weeks ago, threw for nearly 300 last week in a loss to Utah State. What about this secondary with an emphasis maybe on coordination and communication between the safeties and maybe some of the sub-package defenders? Uh, and there's still some injury concerns, I guess, lingering with your top two corners as well, right? 
Yeah, it sounds like Jalen Armour Davis is going to be fine. Um, you know, he uh, banged up his ribs a little bit in the LSU game and obviously didn't close that game out. Uh, but, you know, Nick Saban's brushed that one off this week. He sounds like he's been good to go. Um, and, and Josh Joe, while he didn't start the LSU game because of that turf toe injury, um, he was still able to play. He came in and replaced Jalen Armour Davis, which, again, I think that was even more of a telltale sign about uh, Marcus Banks yeah. in the portal. But um, I think they'll be good to go. Um, I, I think, you know, Job was healthy enough to play, but, you know, they, they chose since he wasn't able to practice much to go with Kool-Aid. And I think that says a lot about Kool-Aid's development. But um, I think the, the top two corners will be fine. And uh, I think the secondaries you know, played pretty well. Um, it played well against LSU. Uh, you know, you had the, the big plays given up against Tennessee. But I think I think Jordan Battles really played well here of late. And, um, you know, I think that should be you know, commended because it is a situation where maybe communication wasn't always uh, the best between the, the defensive backs. But I think he's really come on here on this final stretch of the regular season. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, they're going to be facing a team that that does like to throw the ball around. Uh, I think they're averaging, uh, if you round it up a bit, 47 uh, passing attempts per game. That's on you know, Mississippi State's level. Um, you know, they don't average a ton of uh, passing yards per game, but uh, they're going to get some attempts out there. Um, you know, they're, they're going to complete, they're, they're not completing above 60% of the passes and they've thrown nine picks this season compared to 13 touchdowns. So there's going to be opportunities for guys in the secondary to make plays. Um, and you know, we've seen them kind of take advantage of that. Jalen Arbor Davis has a trio of interceptions, um, you know, battle and DeMarco Hellums have two picks apiece. So I think it could be a big day for them. It's going to be a busy day, but it could be a big day for them, especially if the pass rush is able to to get home like it did last week. I think it could be a, you know, a, a brief day for the first team offense if they play the way they're supposed to, if they communicate the way they're supposed to. And they really did that last week. And I think they've gotten better as the seasons progress. So I think collectively the defense isn't going to spot. It's just this is going to be a, a an offense that, uh, is going to present some challenges. And I think they're, you know, this, it's not going to be labeled as a trap or a dangerous game or anything like that by Nick Saban, but it's going to be one that his defensive backs are going to have to be on their P's and Q's. Yeah. To use a really bad analogy, which I'm pretty much famous for or infamous <laughs> for at this point, this game in some ways is going to be like the last rest stop for the next 50 or 60 miles for the Alabama defense in terms of what some of the upcoming offenses are about, first and foremost. And when I say that, I'm talking about running the football. So yeah. Arkansas, Auburn, potentially Georgia down the road, you're going to get back into some fistfight type scenarios in the trenches. This one on Saturday is going to be largely about the back end of the defense and the pass rush, once again, as you said, Charlie, having an opportunity to really wreak havoc on this NMSU offense. And, you know, we talk about and we pick at the defense at time, but they have 12 interceptions through nine games, and that's tied for the season output that they had a year ago in 13 games. And, you know, also it doesn't help when we talk about communication when you have an in and out sort of situation like they've had at the other safety spot. You know, because of DeMarco Ellums' health, you've had to play some different guys, Daniel Wright. Uh, there hadn't been the continuity you like to see between your two starting safeties as well. Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier here on the Bama Online Podcast. Going to step aside for a quick break and we come back. Some Alabama men's basketball talk with Charlie when the BOL pod returns right after this. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back with more of the Bama Online podcast. This one midday, Thursday. November the 11th, 2021, Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, joined by senior team reporter Charlie Potter. And man, Charlie, when you talk about season opening performances by an Alabama men's basketball team, I think you'd be hard pressed, even with my recall becoming more and more limited with each passing year, to to pull up or to recollect a performance as impressive as what we saw from Nate Oates' team on Tuesday night. Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, and that's a Louisiana Tech team that's not a slouch. I mean, you know, Kenneth Lofton Jr., uh, even though I know that he was you know, dealing with, with an injury, um, you know, he's a load down in the paint. And uh, you know, Charles Bediaco and, and company – um, you had to deal with that, but, uh, yeah, I think Alabama's pace was, was not ideal for him. And of course, like I, I said, he was dealing with a, an injury in the game, but uh, yeah, I mean, Alabama shot 50% from the floor, you know, they had five guys to, to score in, in double figures. Um, you know, Javon Quinterly finished with nine, so he could have been a sixth. So it was, it was, um, we, we really saw the depth of this team and, um, you know, the ball movement was really good. Um, you, know, you see some of the, the new pieces are, are meshing well, guys like J.D. Davison and, and Charles Bediaco. Uh, Noah Gurley didn't have a great game. I, I don't think we'll see that on a consistent basis. I think they have high hopes for him. But, um, you know, Javon Quinterly and Jaden Shackelford uh, were really good. Keon Ellis, I know you're, you're the president of the Keon Ellis fan club, and you know, he looked um, – really good in the the opener you know scoring uh like he did and defending like he did uh leaving the team with 18 points you know, finishing one rebound shy of a double double jawan gary gave them uh, some really good minutes off the bench i think nato's really talked about how keon ellis and jawan gary the way they play on both ends of the floor it can make up for that loss of herb jones and that's high praise coming from from nato's because he thinks very highly of, of herb but um, I think it was just a, an all-around good performance. I thought even 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 Darius even Dar- and he only played um, I think in uh, you know 17 minutes and he was able to get in double figures. So yeah, I mean it was a strong night all around. It was a, a strong night from the crowd. Of course, they you know, honored the late Luke Ratliff before the game, and, and that was a cool moment. Um, and the fans showed up, the students packed the student section and, um, it was really good to see considering what happened last year and the way that Alabama played last year, um, you know, to see the fans show up and to, to have excitement around this program. And yeah, I mean, I don't think you could have really scripted a better start to the season than what they had. It was interesting because even though you, even though you lose, Guys like Herb Jones, John Petty, you know, the departures that they had from last year's team, it felt like this team went into Tuesday night with 
a multitude of roles already established. Guys look comfortable already. Even J.D. Mm-hmm. Davison as a freshman coming off the bench as a five-star and a potential lottery pick as early as next summer. I was very impressed with his maturity. Came in. Yes, he plays fast. Uh, yes, he had a couple of turnovers, but he also had six assists and six rebounds in the game. I thought it was a very mature pro, uh, performance from a guy who obviously has unlimited ability. And, you know, I didn't feel as much, at least in the opener, we'll see, that this team is as dependent on the three-point shot. They still shot it three, 33 times. Don't get me wrong. They're still going to get the threes up. But it just felt like, anyway, that they could maybe win in some different ways with with more guys perhaps being able to step forward. Just one game. We'll see. Everything went pretty much right for this team on Tuesday night against a really solid team in Louisiana Tech. But, again, across the board, you can go down to – the box score, you can look at it with your own eyes. Um, this is a team that checked pretty much all the boxes in the opener. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at the threes and you say it like that, they did shoot a, a bunch of them. Uh, but, you know, I don't think there were there were a ton of bad shots either. No. And um, I think it's encouraging to see that the, that kind of shooting performance from Keon Ellis, three or four from three. You know, Nate Oates was talking about, um, I forget the name of it. I'm, I'm going to, it'll be posted on the site later today. Um, but they do this thing in practice where they shoot a hundred threes, like kind of like an NBA workout. And, uh, recently Keon Ellis hit 85 of those. And wow. that's, that's pretty damn impressive. And I think he's really improved his shot, but, you know, we've seen, um, him really, you know, mature and make progress over the course of his career. And, uh, I think he's looking more and more comfortable and that's big for this team because we know what Javon Quinterly brings to the table this season he had, especially, you know, late down the stretch. We, we know what Jaden Shackelford uh, can do and he looked more like Jaden Shackelford in this game. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, um, uh, one for 14 from the field, you know, he, he shot up, uh, 10 threes, but he made four of them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a multitude of guys that can score, uh, on this team. And that's without Namari Burnett, who's on the bench because of a knee injury. Uh, so I think JD Davison, um, you know, looked controlled. Uh, he only had a couple of turnovers and that's big for a guy that is used to just, um, you know, give me the ball and, and let me do my thing. You know, he passed it. And that, there was a lot of unselfish basketball uh, from this group. And not saying that last year's team was selfish by any means, but it looked like you said, uh, they were comfortable together. They were a cohesive unit, regardless of who was on the floor. And uh, yeah, if they can continue to build on this, this will be a team that uh, can do some real damage to this non-conference schedule, which is, is no joke. And if, if no. they're able to skirt through this, um, not necessarily unscathed, but in good position, then they're going to be able to make a lot of noise come SEC play. 14 turnovers for Alabama in the game, but they offset that with 19 assists. And again, team high six from J.D. Davison in 26 minutes. So really good basketball, and it's South Dakota State set to visit Coleman Coliseum on Friday night. The Jackrabbits coming down on the heels of a season-opening 16-point win over Bradley on Tuesday night. And so, again, a bye game for Alabama in this one, but an opponent that in some ways could stretch the Crimson Tide a little bit. Hey, Charlie, speaking of men's hoops, uh, some comments from Greg Byrne, Athletics Director at Alabama on Wednesday on a podcast or Facebook live appearance with Roger Hoover of CTSN, you got the sense from 
Greg, anyway, that everything is still on the table in regards to the future of Coleman Coliseum, which right now the timing makes sense, doesn't it? You got Nate Oates. You've been to the NCAA tournament. Uh, you've got a top five recruiting class that not so coincidentally, I think, with all this coming out, you put to rest on Wednesday. Uh, what did you take of that from Greg Byrne on Wednesday? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. And uh, I know, you know fans have wanted a, a new arena for a, a while now, and it sounds like it's more um, you know, plausible than before. Because, you know, when they introduced this Crimson Standard, which is you know, Alabama's, what are they calling it, uh, their 10-year capital initiative, um, you know, Coleman was a part of phase two. So we've already seen, um, you know, Bryant Denny get some renovations. Uh, they did some work over at the Rhodes House for softball. Uh, the Mount Moore facility, um, you know, got a facelift and things like that. But, you know, Coleman was a part of phase two, but because of the pandemic, you know, they kind of had to hit the pause button on some things. And that, that makes sense. I mean, they lost some money uh, because of, you know, you're not having, you know, full stadiums for a full year uh, and things like that. But, um, you know, starting to come out of that and with, you know, fans coming back to Tuscaloosa, coming back to campus, um, you know, they've been at every football game. We saw what the crowd was like at Coleman on Tuesday night, uh, Tuesday night for an 8 p.m. tip. Um, you know, there's a lot of excitement around this team. And, you know, he, he made a point to talk about how winning helps. And it's not just the men's basketball team, even though I think that's really what's pushing this. You know, the women's basketball team had a good year last year. The gymnastics team, uh, you know, they won the SEC championship. They're going to play in whatever re- arena is on campus. So you know, he said they've been looking at other options and just trying to understand what the best path is for those programs, for the student athletes and for the fans. And, um, you know, they're going to, um, you know, they've had some fundraising conversations. That's always kind of the, the big deal there. Uh, those are still ongoing. So, um, you know, he said the, the thing I took away from it most, he said, we're going to see if we're fortunate enough to have some success on the fundraising side to look and do what's best for our program, whatever that may be. So they are, you know, looking at all things on the table. I think there's probably been a push for a new arena. And, um, you know, I think that would be, that would be big because Coleman, it's not the best. I think the, the facilities that are around there, like the practice gym and everything that the players do on a daily basis, um, those are, those have been renovated. Those are, you know, what the the players are going to see day in and day out. And that's what, you know, sells recruits because Alabama's practice gym is really nice. Their you know, locker room and, and everything they have is, is really nice. But, you know, if you have a, an environment that isn't an airplane hangar, um, then that's going to amplify that even more. So I, I think that's something that they're going to be considering moving forward. Yeah, and you know what? You're going to you're you've got a head coach in men's hoops that other programs are going to be coming for. And yeah. so you need to enhance the job, the day-to-day aspect of that job as much as you possibly can. I guess something else we could ponder in the future is, okay, what exactly when you throw fundraising out there does it entail? Does it entail the possibility of corporate sponsorships? Is there a, a possibility where a, a company name could be going on a new building? That's something that we could, I guess, have a conversation about on another day, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, money talks. And uh, while it would be a little lame if it's, you know, uh, like Golden Flakes Arena or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it we, would definitely I think help to get it ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. Peter Brook Arena. That's what it'll be. Heck I have, yeah, to, talk to, there the, we have go. to talk to the wife about that. She's probably got a few coins stored away and some <laughs> sofa cushions or something, you know? We'll throw I'm it at say right now. If they give out those meal tickets and I can get chocolate covered popcorn, I'm going to. That's what I'm saying. Sell it, Charlie. Preach. Preach. (laughs) I like where you're going. I like where your head's at. That's just about going to do it for this edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Anything else you want to throw out there, Charlie, before we head to the weekend? Uh, One quick thing. Uh, I think everybody saw it on Twitter yesterday, but uh, I I know from a a beat standpoint, um, we compete against a lot of these outlets, but Cecil Hurt put out there that he's not doing well in the hospital. I'm sure people heard uh, Nick Saban's comments in his post-game or post-practice press conference, but um, just want to send out our our thoughts and prayers for Cecil, who's not doing too well at the moment. Um, wouldn't be the same at basketball games or football games without, without him. It's been weird that he's not been there the last you know, few or so. And just, you know, hopefully he can you know, get well soon and bounce back and, and be back out there with us. Absolutely. Echoing those sentiments, no doubt about it. Known Cecil for decades. And I think when you think about relationships and what we do, you said it, people think of it from the outside as, first and foremost, competitive, which it is, which it always has been. But the things I've cherished the most in my relationship with Cecil are the conversations and the interactions people on the outside have no clue about. So it's not just about the preeminent voice and outlet when it comes to Alabama athletics coverage that we're talking about here in Cecil Hurt. It's an individual that so many of us also consider to be a really, really good friend. Get well soon, Cecil. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Simple as a click or two. And if you don't mind, leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, so long, everybody.